forgot to turn my microphone on. At the end of last year, my voice was feeling a little weak, so I told Bill I was going to use the handheld. But today, it's a new year, it's a new time. Praying that my voice will get stronger. So I'm going back to the old headset, but I've got to remember to turn it on. How many of you are ready to be in the house of the Lord today, this new year? Good things that God is doing in our lives. God has more in 24 than we can even believe for. Amen? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I look around the room. It's, it's good to see faces that I haven't seen in a long time. I've been expecting you. I've been saving your seat for you. So I'm glad you're here today to take up residence in your seat. And uh, you're always welcome at Spirit Life Church. We're glad that you're here this morning. Amen. Before I preach, and we're going to sing this little song that they're playing here in just a moment, but I, um, I just want to take a brief moment and remind you that we believe that God wants us to be generous givers. Amen. And there are basically two things that Scripture talks about in terms of finance and our being willing to be generous. And the first is the tithe. And I know that most of our people are consistent tithers. And uh, I don't have to say a whole lot about it usually at all. You just come in, put it in the boxes on the back wall, and it typically comes in many of you pay your tithe online consistently several of you have it set up just as a recurring giving uh, it just happens automatically and comes out of your bank account however you choose to give let me remind you that the ministry that we are able to do here at spirit life is totally dependent upon God being able to work through you as generous tithers and givers now, for those of you who don't know what tithe is, the scripture is pretty clear that the tithe is the 10% of our income. So 10% math is pretty easy for you to figure out. And I want to encourage you to be faithful this year to our tithe and your tithe. And if for some reason you've gotten a little bit behind or maybe you started and then life hit, how many of you know that life hits sometimes? It's easy for us to say, well, I really need the money myself more than God needs it. Let me remind you that your tithing aligns with God's covenant and therefore he is able to bless you in ways that you can't even understand. So I want to encourage you to be faithful in your tithing this year. And I believe it'd be wonderful if you'd start today and just decide today is the day that I'm either going to continue, I'm going to get back in, or I'm going to start altogether giving and blessing the church with my tithe. The other thing that Scripture talks about a lot is just giving free will offerings. Now, last year, let me tell you and remind you of what you did. I asked you to consider giving a gift on behalf of our debt reduction and I've mentioned this a couple times a few times and our goal was simply to get two thousand extra dollars every month to pay toward the principle of our debt management and uh, so that would have been twenty four thousand dollars over the course 
of the year. Some of you have given consistently to that, different amounts, whatever you felt like that the Lord was leading you to do. You either gave it in the boxes or you gave it online, however you chose to do that. But we not only reached our goal, but because of some miracle money that came in, we were able to exceed it significantly. And we were able to raise $42,000 to put on our debt reduction last year. So praise the Lord for that. And we still have a little ways to go. How many of you know that's true? And so we're going to do that again this year. And we're going to believe that God is going to help us. If we all work together, we all give whatever we feel that God is leading us to do. Listen, some of us, it's, it's a challenge to give $5 a week to something like this or 10 Some of you give 20 50 Some of you give $100 a month just toward the debt reduction. And some of you have given larger amounts. You know, however God has blessed you, then that's how you can be faithful and obedient to Him. The bottom line is, is that when you give generously to God, two things happen. Number one, God is honored by your giving. He is blessed when you give. Secondly, the church is blessed and you are blessed when you decide to be generous givers. So again, you know me, I'm, I'm not one of these pastors that gets up and takes two, three, four offerings every time we gather, but I do think that it's prudent for me as your pastor to remind you that it's one of the things that God asks us to do. And when we do it, He is always faithful to His church. Someone said to me Friday of this week, looked right in my eyes and said, Pastor, I believe that we're going to have a wonderful year at Spirit Life Church. And they didn't have to say that, but they really believe that God is going to do something significant in our community of faith in this year. How many of you believe that today? Amen. So I know you're on the team, and I appreciate you so much. I thank you so much for all that you do to make our church the success that it is. So I pray that you will just, that you will ask God to help you to be faithful in these areas of your life. How many of you are saved today? Can I see your hand? Give me a little more monitor up here, if you will, this morning. I would appreciate it. I'm glad to be saved today. Uh, I really don't deserve to be saved, but I'm thankful for God's grace, aren't you? And I'm going to ask you to sing this little old song with me this morning that I know that you'll recognize. It's just an old song of the church that talks about amazing grace. And as we sing it, will you just close your eyes and just kind of focus in on God and the grace that he brought into your life. Give him some worship and praise today as we sing it. Come on. Let's start with that first verse. Sing out loud. Sing with me. Come on now.
take a moment and we thank you. We acknowledge what grace means to us today. It's the fulfillment of what Scripture says. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever would believe on Him should not perish but have everlasting life. It is because of your grace today that our sins are forgiven and that we can anticipate everlasting life because of you. And so, Lord, today receive our praise and our thanksgiving for that great gift, that gift of Jesus, and for what he means to us today. Now, Spirit of God, as we turn to the Word of God, I pray that you'll teach us all things, that you will help us to be able to receive knowledge and understanding and wisdom from your Word. And let it be applied to our lives in such a way that we will see the success that you have for us. Father, we ask these things in Jesus' lovely name. And we give you the praise for it. Amen and amen. Praise the Lord. Well, if you have your Bibles with you today, turn with me to Joshua chapter 3. And we're going to continue this journey with Joshua through the book of Joshua. And today we're going to talk about Uh, some leadership principles that we can apply to our lives. And you say, well, I'm not a leader. I'm a follower. I I bear to disagree with you today. I believe that we're all leaders in some realm, in some way. You may not be a corporate leader. You may not be a leader at work. But you're a leader even if it's just in your family. In fact, leading your family could be the greatest call that you will ever experience in your life. But we are all leaders. You see, the problem with feeling like that we're, a, we're not a leader, that we're a follower, is that we tend to just sit around and do nothing until somebody tells us to do something. And God has already told us to do something. Amen? His Word is full of assignments for us if we will just take the lead and acknowledge it. So today we want to talk a little bit about this in Joshua chapter 3. I'm not going to read the whole chapter up front. I want to encourage you again today to get the notes. If you haven't already done that, there should have been a slide. I think I saw a slide that has a QR code that you can scan. There it is. And uh, my sermon summary notes will be there. Now, again, this is something that we're trying different this year, something new. If it helps you, let me know that. If it doesn't help me help you, let me know that, and we won't do it anymore because it takes a little bit of effort to get it done. But hopefully it will be helpful to you. Now, the summary notes will not be word for word what I will say to you today, but it will summarize the, the message in such a way that you'll be able to keep it with you throughout this week. Now, I pray that you'll go back from time to time and then uh, take in these, this information again. So Joshua chapter 3, we're going to take the whole chapter today and we're going to walk our way through it. Now, what I want to talk to you about today is being properly aligned for leadership. Now, when I say properly aligned, I think the best way for me to describe that to you is to ask you if you've ever been to a chiropractor. Has anybody ever been to a chiropractor? You know then that if you go to a chiropractor, their primary goal is to make sure that your spine is properly aligned. Sometimes, due to 
posture problems or because of injuries or uh, sometimes it's age, whatever it is, our, our posture can suffer from a spine that is out of alignment. And so we have to go to this chiropractor who has been trained in getting our back and our spine aligned properly. And they tell me that when that happens, when it is properly in alignment, that there are some things that happen. Number one, our nervous system functions properly. Secondly, it causes pain. It, it brings pain relief from whatever injury that we may have had. It enhances our posture. One of the things I get most frustrated with myself about is my posture. I look at some of the pictures at times from the church and when I'm preaching and online and all that, and I want to slap myself in the back like my mom used today and say, stand up straight, boy, because I just forget and my posture is not everything that it could be. And, but they say that when your spine is properly aligned, that your posture will improve. It will boost your immune system if your spine is in alignment. It will increase your energy and your vitality. How many of you need a little bit of that today? I could use some of that. Somebody needs to straighten my spine out so that I can have more energy. And then finally, they say that it is preventative and it will allow us to maintenance our health when our spine is in alignment. So now, I, I don't know about you, but there have been a few times in my life that I've gone to the chiropractor, and when I go in, they don't have to ask me what I want them to do. They know that their job is to properly align my spine and to help me get my body straightened out so that I can be in alignment with what my body is designed to do. So when we're talking about leadership and we're talking about Joshua and what God had called him to do, there are certain principles of, of alignment that we can see in this chapter. Things that have to be considered and have to be done if Joshua is going to fulfill what God has called him to do and see the success that God had promised. So today, I want to share with you three things that we need to consider when we're talking about being spiritually aligned and properly aligned for leadership. The first one is this. We have to align ourselves with God's covenant. We have to be aligned with God's covenant. Notice chapter 3, verses 1 through 5 with me. It says, then Joshua rose early in the morning. Some of you are already out the door now on leadership because you haven't seen a morning in a very long time. It says, Joshua rose early in the morning and he and all the sons of Israel set out for Shittim and came to the Jordan. And they lodged there before they crossed. At the end of three days... The officers went through the midst of the camp and they commanded the people saying, when you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord, your God with the Levitical priest carrying it, then you shall set out from your place and go after it. However, there shall be a distance between you and it of about 2,000 cubits by measure. Do not come near it that you may know the way which you shall go, for you have not passed this way before. And then Joshua said to the people, 
consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Now here's what I want you to see from these five verses. The primary thing to consider is the Ark of the Covenant. Now in the Old Testament, the Ark of the Covenant was designed in such a way that it was a place where the glory of God dwelt. When the Ark of the Covenant was properly placed, then the presence of God was there. God promised that he would be there. And so what Joshua was saying to the priest and then to the people is that we've got to have our eyes focused upon the Ark of the Covenant. Wherever the Ark goes, that's where we need to go. If it means we have to leave where we are and do something different and reposition ourselves so that we can be close to the covenant of the Ark of the Covenant, then we must be willing to do that and pursue what the covenant, the Ark of the Covenant, and where it is going. And then he adds this. He says, but you must stay some distance away because you've never been this way before. Now, as I studied that this week and over the last few weeks, it, it, it dawned on me that that really doesn't make any sense to me. Because you would think that, that God would want his people, and Joshua would want his people to be as close to God, as close to the Word of God, as close to the presence of God as that they could physically be. But you remember that if you get too close to the Ark of the Covenant of God and you accidentally touch the Ark of the Covenant of the God, uh, of the Covenant, the Ark of the Covenant, the, the glory of God would be so strong and so powerful that it actually killed people because they touched the Ark of the Covenant. And so what he's saying here is, is that you need to have it in your sight, but you don't get so close that it can't work good things in your life. <clears throat> it came to me that what is happening here is that God is saying, stand back far enough so that you can see the direction that the covenant is taking you, that the Ark of the Covenant is taking you. You have to be able to stand back. Now, how many of you have ever used a GPS unit? Anybody here? Good. You put it in there, and usually it tells you, you know, how to get where you're going but there's a feature on that GPS unit that allows you to zoom out and see the whole picture, to see the big picture. Sometimes when I'm going somewhere here in town, I want to see the big picture before I take off because I know what the GPS is telling me to do. But sometimes there are alternate routes. Sometimes there are ways to get someplace without having to go through a certain part of town or where the traffic might be heavy. And so you zoom out and you're able to see where you are and where you're going. And that's exactly what's taking place here. Joshua is saying, we want to be focused on the Ark of the Covenant, but we don't want to be so close that we can't see where it's going and which direction it's going. And where it's guiding us. Now, he, here's, here's the practical application of this. How many of you have ever read the Word of God in one place, and in one place, the Word tells you one particular thing, but then it seems like that there are other passages of Scripture in other places that tell you to do just the opposite? They say just the opposite. And what you need to do in instances like that is zoom out 
so that you can see the bigger picture and so that you can see what God is overarching, his overarching plan for the moment and for your life. You have to take it all in, not only what it specifically says, but what it says overall so that you can get an idea of what God is doing. So now there are two important steps that we have to take when we're talking about this. And the first one is we have to connect ourselves to the divine covenant. Notice the phrase in this passage of Scripture that says, When you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God with the Levitical priest carrying it, then you shall set out from your place and go after it. Now, what he's saying is, is that you, you have to connect to the covenant. Whatever God says, that, that's what you have to be willing to do. You have to be willing to leave where you are. You have to be willing to leave what you think. You have to be willing to set your preconceived ideas to the side. And you have to be willing to say, you know, I was taught this. I always believed this, but that's not at all what the Word of God said. That's not at all what God is trying to get to me in this passage of Scripture. Sometimes we just have to set it aside and we have to pursue what God is actually saying. Aren't you glad? And Donna and I were just talking about this yesterday, about how that when we were small, when we were young, you know, we were talking about the moving of the Spirit of God. And, and she thought and I thought, you know, that the Holy Ghost just zapped you, came on you and made you do whatever it was you were doing. If you danced, it's because the Holy Ghost made you dance. If you were doing a Jericho march, it's because God made you do one. You had no control whatsoever, but that is not scriptural at all. You know, the Spirit of God is subject to the prophet of God. We are able to lend ourselves to worship as God directs us, but God will never make you do something uh, against your will because God doesn't work that way. And so what I'm saying to you today is, is that when we are connected to the covenant of God, we're willing to say, God, I'll set my beliefs aside. I'll set what I think aside so that I can accept your covenant and walk in it knowing that it will be best for me. But there's another thing that we have to do. And he says it very clearly. He says, you have to consecrate yourself. Now, this word consecrate in Joshua chapter 3 verse 5 means the act of setting oneself apart for a sacred or a holy purpose. Now, did you know that you have to cooperate with God and consecrate yourself? You have to make choices that will allow you to be prepared to receive the blessing of God. You have to decide to say no to some things. You have to decide to say yes to other things. You have to be willing to say, God, I, I don't need to say that anymore. I don't need to do that anymore. I don't need to go there anymore. I'm more interested in the covenant. I'm more interested in the kingdom principles of God. And so I would rather prioritize those things in my life than the things that this world would tell me is much better for me. How many of you know the world couldn't care about you at all 
and what is good for you. The world, the devil, the spirit of the world only wants to lead you down this path of self-sufficiency and blessing that can only be fleshly. But God wants to raise you up. God wants you to be able to do the multiple things that he has called you to do. And in order for that to happen, you have to consecrate yourself. It is committing our lives to a life that aligns with his commands. It is purifying your own heart. It is confessing your own sins. It is seeking forgiveness when you've done others wrong. It is renewing your commitment when you have stopped being committed to anything that is good for you. These things are all actions that we must take that will consecrate us to the covenant. You know, we think that God owes us something. We think that God ought to just pour out his covenant on us without any action on our part whatsoever. But how many of you know that in order for us to be in alignment with the covenant of God, we have to consecrate ourselves to receive it. We have to be willing to set the worldly system aside and pick up the kingdom principles. To seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all the other things, they shall be added to us. So for the first thing is, we have to consecrate ourselves. In this verse, Joshua instructs the Israelites to consecrate themselves, emphasizing the need for spiritual preparation before crossing the Jordan River. It is a deliberate and intentional act of sanctification, separating oneself from worldly distractions and focusing on pursuing God's purposes and plans. So let me just ask you, when you came to church today, did you prepare yourself for worship? Did you prepare your heart for worship? When you got up at your house and you're brushing your teeth and you're cleaning your, your face and you're getting your hair fixed and you're putting your clothes on, and did you stress yourself out in that process? Did you get all stressed out thinking, yeah, I got to look a certain way or smell a certain way or, or whatever the case is, I, and I'm all stressed out. And then we get in the car and we're running two or three minutes behind and now we're stressed out because we're afraid we're going to be late. And then we get in a fight in the car with our spouse, and it's like, you know, I told you better, and I told, I, you know, this and that and whatever. I told you I'm not eating meatloaf one more time this week. I'm just not going to do it. We get into this argument with each other, and we're coming to the house of God to worship the Lord. But we're not preparing ourselves for it. We're not listening in our spirit. We're not praying and seeking God and saying, God, will you speak to me today? Will you allow that pastor to preach in such a way that when I leave the house that I will know that he spoke directly to me from the Word of God and that my life is better because it because I prepared myself for worship. So I want to encourage you this year. Consecrate yourself. On Sundays and Wednesdays, you know, think about it for just a moment. We come to church on Sunday mornings. We start at 1030 we're usually out, give or take a couple of minutes, around 12 o'clock. That's an hour and a half. We do Wednesday night Bible studies every Wednesday night. And since I've been your pastor, I've promised you that we'll get out at 8 o'clock. I'm not going to hold you later than that. And it's been a rare occasion that we've gone one or two minutes over 8 o'clock. And, and we spend the whole time 
not talking about who won the ball game and not talking about whether or not the coach ought to be fired or kept on. We don't talk about those kinds of things. We open up the Bible. The teenagers talk about scriptural principles. The children are in the back being taught the stories of scripture, Samson and Delilah and Abraham and Sarah and on and on it could go. And for one hour, we consecrate that middle part of our week just to listen and take in the Word of God. I'm not on anybody's case today. I'm not fussing at anybody. I'm just saying this is what consecration looks like. It's, it's, it's saying, you know, this is Wednesday. That Sunday is God's day. It is the Sabbath. I will keep it holy because God encourages me to do that in His Word. But then I'm also going to give Him Wednesday night from 7 o'clock to 8 because I know that I will be stronger for it and I will be more prepared to face life because I will understand what Scripture has to say. So what are you consecrating your life to? What are are you giving yourself to? What are you going to say to God one of these days when he says, what did you do with your life? Consecrate yourself so that you can pursue the kingdom of God. Secondly, we have to align ourselves with committed leaders. Now, let me ask you this. Who are you allowing to lead you? Who has... The love for you that they can lead you effectively? Or who has just simply inserted a ring in your nose and is pulling you through life? Who's leading you? Let me ask you this. Who are you leading? Are you leading them with love? Or do you just have the ring in their nose and you're pulling them around? Look at Joshua chapter 3 verse 6. It says, and Joshua spoke to the priest. And here's what he said. He said, take up the Ark of the Covenant and cross ahead of the people. So they took up the Ark of the Covenant and they went ahead of the people. Now let me tell you something. If your leader is not willing to go ahead, they're not leading you. They're manipulating you. They're pushing you. If they're not in front leading, then they're behind you and they are shoving you in a direction that you may or may not want to go in. When I think about my role as pastor, I always ask God to help me not to be a shoving pastor. I don't want to shove you any particular direction that you're not comfortable with. I want to lead you by speaking what the Word of God has to say, and then I want to illustrate that by doing it myself. I, I, yeah, but you're the pastor. You have to. No, I'm, I'm a Christian first. I'm a believer first. I'm a follower first. And I have to be willing to step into the water before, ahead of those that I'm trying to lead. So there are three things that leaders have to be willing to do. First of all, they have to be willing to take up the cause. I'm not asking you to do anything that I'm not willing to do. When I ask you to consider tithing, I already tithe. I tithe. If you need to ask Earlene, she'll tell you, she won't tell you how much I tithe. 
but she'll tell you that pastor tithes. It's the first thing that comes out of my paycheck is back to the church. You say, well, why don't you just have them withhold that? Because I'd rather give it. When I withhold it, it sounds like I, it feels like I'm being manipulated. But when I give it, it feels like I'm participating in what God has called me to do. I'm ready to take up the cause. Hey, when God called me to Spirit Life Church, I was ready to go, go to work. I was ready to roll my sleeves up. I was ready to take up the cause. I had people trying to talk me out of coming here, including the pastor's council who I met with when I first came. Then giving me financial reports and talking about this and talking about that. The only thing I knew to do was just slide them off to the side and say, God will help us to accomplish whatever has to be accomplished. Let's go. And we're in a new season at our church. I mean, I say that a lot, but I'm telling you God has more for us than what we've already experienced. And I'm ready to take up the cause. Your pastor is going to fight hard for this church and for the kingdom of God and for you that God will allow you to be blessed in an amazing way. They've got to be willing to take up the cause and they've got to be willing to step into the troubled waters. How many of you remember the sermon, Simon and Garfunkel tune, Bridge Over Troubled Waters? I've heard it many times. Through, but, you know, when, when you're leading and when you're doing what God has called you to do, you don't get the benefit of walking across a bridge over troubled waters. You have to be willing to say, I'm not going across the bridge. I'm going into the water. Because God didn't say cross the bridge. God didn't say go the safe way. God said to Joshua and Joshua to the priest, when you step your foot into the water is when the water is going to part. Those waters would have never miraculously parted had the priest not been willing to say, okay, boys, here we go. I don't know what this is going to look like, but God said do it, so here we go. Boom! First foot goes in and the waters stand straight up on their edge and the Bible says all the way back to the town of Adam, the waters just stood straight up. Why? Because they were willing to step into the troubled waters. Hey, sometimes when you're leading people, you've got to be willing to step into the troubled waters. You know, we've, we've got a soft society that we live in now. We want to find the easy way. We want to find the best path. We want to help people, but we really don't want to help them in such a way that it requires a commitment from us. But if you're going to lead, if you're going to be someone that God can use, you're going to have to be willing to say, this is the time and this is the moment. I am stepping into the waters, uh, the raging waters that are overflowing the area but because God said that he was going to work wonders in our midst if we would step into the water. You need a leader like that. I need a leader like that. We all need leaders like that. We've got to have people that will blaze the trail. Notice it says they went ahead of the people. You know, leaders don't say you go first. And then, depending on what happens with you, I'll decide whether or not I want to go to. I remember when I was in state work, 
Sometimes the overseer would call me into his office and he'd say, hey, such and such church is open. I need for you to go meet with them. We got to get a pastor up there. We got to get somebody who'd be willing to go up there and be their pastor. So he'd sign that church to me and I'd go to the church and meet with them. What do you want? And of course, they all say this. Every church says, we want a young man. First thing they always say, we want a young man. We want a young man that doesn't have any kids. Well, okay, you're already talking about impossibilities here. We want, to talk, we want a man who would be willing to work so we don't have to pay him anything. I mean, on and on the list goes. They want these kinds of things. But then on the preacher side of it, I sat down with young pastors and I'd say, man, here's a church over here. It's in a beautiful town, great city, wonderful building. It's paid off, no mortgage. <laughs> There'd be days I'd like to take that church, wouldn't you? Amen. No mortgage, no problems, you know, few people, handful of people. Well, do they have a parsonage I can live in? What's the pay package look like? You don't have any idea how many pastors turned it down because they didn't have a house to live in or a pay package that was suitable for them. Let me tell you something. There, we need some brave men and women. We need some bold people in the church to say it doesn't look like it doesn't matter what it looks like on the outside. What matters is has God assigned me to this? Has God asked me to do this? Because if He has, then the outside circumstances they don't matter. Pastor comes and says, "Would you help us teach this Sunday school class, or would you help us with this ministry?" Well, I don't know what's in it for me. What's in it for you is, is that God wants to use you to lead others, to help you benefit other people so that they can be blessed. And in their blessing, you will be blessed. And we need some trailblazers. Those of you who are leading your family, who's helping you do that? Moms, do you talk to other moms? I have this finicky child, and I'm not sure exactly what to do about that. Have you asked another mom who has a finicky child? Have you, got, you know, have you gotten your Stanley cup and gone down to Target and had some coffee and talked about it? Dads, how about you? I got a wife that I don't know. I don't know. I can't, I can't deal with it. You know, she, she loves credit cards, and she, you know, or she loves meatloaf, and that's all we ever eat is meatloaf. And it's like, I, you know... Have you considered talking to another guy and just sitting down and saying, can you help me? Can you talk to me? Can we, can we talk about this together? Who is taking this journey with you? We have to have other committed leaders in our lives. And then finally this morning, I, I know what it's like when the preacher says finally. It's like chill bumps go all the way down to your... Hallelujah. I, I knew we were getting close. Here's the last thing that we have to align ourselves. We have to align ourselves with other followers. Now, you may not realize this, but when God assigns you to be a leader, there are people that you have to lead. It, it's not a position. It's, it's not a place where you just go and look at me, I'm a leader. Oh, really? Well, who's following you? I don't see anybody behind you. I don't see anybody getting in the water with you. 
But I want you to notice this. Look at Joshua chapter 3, verse 8. Notice what it says. And you shall command the priest who carry the Ark of the Covenant, saying, when you come to the edge of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand still in, say in, in the Jordan. Now go down to verse 17. It says, And the priest who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the middle of the Jordan while all of Israel crossed on dry ground until all the nation, say all the nation, had finished crossing the Jordan. Now you've got to picture this to get the whole story. The priest had been told to go into the water. you got to get in the water. Once you get in the water, you have to stand still in the riverbed until all the people have crossed over. Think about this for a minute. They tell us, his, historians tell us, that there were probably anywhere from a million and a half to two million men Men, they only counted men back in those days. Women, don't get mad at me. I didn't do it. It's not, I'm not responsible for it. It's just the way it was. They counted the men. So they say there were about a million and a half to two million men. Let's just say that half of them were married. Well, there's another large group of people. What if they all had three kids? Now the crowd has gone even larger. So there could have been three, four, some suggest maybe five million people who are walking across that river and all the while those priests are standing there. Standing there. Some of you would have never made it because you'd have had to go to the bathroom before then. I mean, you'd have, you'd have been saying, I can't, I can't, be, I mean, just can't do it. They're standing in the middle of a dry riverbed while all of the nation crossed. Now let me define all of the nation for you. All of the nation were people who were stubborn and stiff-necked, people who were thieves, people who were liars, people who were backbiters, People who couldn't give a diddly rip about what was going on, but they knew that to get into the promised land, they had to cross over this dry riverbed. And there stood the priest watching them all go by. I remember him from third grade. He was foolish then and he's foolish now. Oh, you got to watch that woman right there. And that woman, she likes to gossip. Oh, that man right there, I remember him. His name's Aiken. He's a thief. We'll talk about Aiken further down in our journey in Joshua. But he didn't care what the rules were. He just stole whatever he could find and hide it in his tent. He was walking across the dry riverbed. Let me tell you that one of the challenges of being a pastor is that you have to pastor everybody. I don't get to choose. I don't get to pick. 
I don't get when you're coming in the door, I don't get to say, uh-uh, no, back out that way. I don't get to do like some of you have suggested, why don't you tell them there's a church for them down the road? No, that's not my call. My call is that I know that God will build the church. That means he's going to pick out who he's going to bring to this church. And my job and your job is to stand in the dry riverbed until every one of them get what they need from God. I want to read this statement to you. It says, if you're a leader, whether of your family, unit, or a corporation, put this on the screen if it's there, thank you. You must be mindful of those who move more slowly than you do. Some are hindered in various ways that you may not understand and you cannot relate to, but they deserve deliverance too. So don't leave them behind to be swallowed up by the raging waters that will soon be released. Here's the way God set it up. When those priests walk into the water, the waters rose. They were stopped. But they already knew that when those priests stepped out on the other side, those waters that had been overflowing before were going to release back. And anybody who was still in that dry riverbed, they were going to be consumed by the river. And those priests had to stand there and stand there and stand there when all manner of humanity walked by from one side of the river to the other side of the river because they had been called by God to set the atmosphere for the miraculous so that men and women and boys and girls could walk through and get to the promise that God had for them. Now, you say, what does that have to do with me? Well, if you're a parent and you're leading your kids, it's your responsibility to stand in the dry riverbed for them. It's your responsibility to create an atmosphere based on the promises and the covenant of God that will allow them to ultimately find Christ as their Savior. It won't happen automatically. If you don't lead them, if you don't bring them to church, if you don't read Scripture to them, if you don't pray over them. But listen, the statistics prove out that it will be rare that they will become adults who follow Christ. So you better get in the riverbed and you better stay there until your child has been able to move from one side to the other. If you're a leader at work, there are people that absolutely will not pull their weight. But if you're a leader, it's your job to create an atmosphere where a miracle can take place in their lives. And as you stand in the dry riverbed, it will give them the opportunity to experience the promise of God for their lives. Do you see what I'm saying to you about leadership? 
What I'm telling you is, is that if God is going to be able to use you in whatever capacity that he has, you're going to have to be aligned with his covenant. You've got to be kingdom people. You have to be committed with other leaders who will stand there with you. Those priests had to do what Joshua told them to do, even though they may have not liked it because they were in alignment. And you've got to align yourself with people who desperately need a miracle in their life and can only get there because you're standing in the dry riverbed for them. Stand with me if you will this morning.